God, we thank you for the way that you continue to speak into our lives and our circumstances. We thank you for the ways that the stories of Jesus' life and ministry and his friends and followers, the disciples, um, yeah, really help us to understand the work that you're still doing in the world and the way that you're calling us to follow you as well. We pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you take a moment to think about all the changes that have happened in the last 12 months for our world, for our city, for our church, for your life? I probably can't give you enough time to think of all the ways. It's been a very busy year of change. The Greek, the Greek philosopher Heraclitus once famously said, Panta rei, everything changes. It's often brought into English as the suggestion that change is the only constant. We know this, we've experienced this in our lives, but still there is something deeply discomforting about change. And after the kinds of sudden and unexpected changes we've experienced in the last year, we surely want some things to stay the same, some things to not change so very fast, to find permanence and stability for ourselves. I think it's actually a very curious thing, our posture toward change, because in truth, we all long for change, but fundamentally, it's a change that others would do, ways other people around us would experience change rather than ourselves. We desire a world where all have enough to live and to thrive. We desire a better country. We desire a more just life for ourselves and our neighbors. We would choose that things external to us change radically. But when confronted with changes we must make in our own lives, digging deep to see bias within ourselves, thinking about our carbon footprint, learning to better love our friends as well as our enemies, even giving up ourselves for the sake of Jesus. Well, we'd rather see those changes happen slowly, over time, if they happen at all. Jesus calls his disciples to stop what they're doing and come and follow him. And this is not the only change they'll be expected to make along the way of following Jesus. It seems that Jesus' ministry will change the world by first changing some people. And these 12 are the first to know that transformation. So during this season of Epiphany, we're going to be exploring some of the episodes in the disciples' journey of following Jesus. We'll hear together the way that Jesus challenges them and others around them to change. And we'll consider what that means for our lives, for our life together as a church, and for the very big changes that we all long to see for our city and for this world. In today's scripture reading, we heard about a storm which feels like a fitting beginning for this series because more than just change, it feels like we have encountered our share of storms in this year. 
when a global pandemic frequently takes a backseat in the news to massive protests for racial justice, to acts of domestic terrorism here in Canada and around the world, most recently in the United States, and all other manner of difficult and dire circumstances, we can rightly say we've become accustomed to storms. So what does this particular storm have to say to us, have to teach us about being disciples of Jesus? How does it invite the disciples and all of us toward change? First, we have to look at the context for this story. A chapter earlier in Mark 3, Jesus appoints the 12 as his chosen disciples, as students who are learning the way of their teacher, that they would preach and cast out demons in very much the same way that he does. The next thing that happens after that is Jesus is accused of being demon-possessed himself. And then Jesus teaches through some parables by the side of a lake. And next, he suggests that they go somewhere else, which is what we heard this morning. These disciples are very fresh in following Jesus. And one of the first things that they encounter is this massive storm on the sea. It's a great storm. The Greek literally says mega storm, a mega storm, not the greatest welcome into the life of following Jesus, but an honest one. Because the honest reality, as we've all experienced, is that following Jesus does not give us exemption from the troubles of this life or from the sorrows of this world. This storm is one of the first things that happens to these disciples. And we might ask, why? Why does this happen to them? Perhaps they were asking themselves the same question. The other easy biblical example of a storm on the sea is, of course, the story of Jonah. A story of a prophet who disobeys God, who runs from God's call, and the storm is only calmed when Jonah is woken from his sleep and thrown into the sea. And here's Jesus asleep on the boat. The only time we see Jesus asleep in the Gospels. The parallels are striking. This is a common reaction to the troubles of our lives, of our world, isn't it? How often can we recall news of televangelists announcing that this tragedy or that natural disaster is in fact God's judgment on certain people, on a nation, on our world? The story of Jonah seems to suggest that this kind of thing does happen. So is this the case here? Are all storms because of our disobedience? Is every trouble of our lives because we have strayed away from the call of our God? No. No. In the most beautiful ways, this story seems to be intentionally undermining that narrative. These disciples have not been disobedient. The scripture says, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. And then it continues, they took him along just as he was in the boat. They haven't gone off on their own. God has not abandoned them. The Son of God is in the boat with them. For all its parallels to that story of Jonah, this story is fundamentally different. This is a story about a storm that comes while we're being obedient. Trouble that we encounter on the way of following Jesus. 
In following the God who came to suffer with us, we may in fact find ourselves more often drawn into the dangers and troubles of our world than not. The Christian life is by no stretch of the imagination an easy life, but it is a good life. So the disciples are in this storm, which is one of the first experiences of following Jesus and is not at all their fault. And how do they react? With the waves breaking over the boat and the boat almost filled with water and Jesus asleep on a cushion in the stern, the disciples wake him and say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? When's the last time you prayed like that? Not, God help me, but God, don't you care if I lose my job? God, don't you care that your children are dying? God, don't you care that injustices multiply by the hour? I suspect you've not prayed in that way very often, but these are the unvarnished, worried words of the disciples of Jesus. Don't you care? Not a specific request for help, but a cry of pain and anguish. And Jesus responds to them, Not indignantly, don't they know who he is? Not in outrage, he clearly needed his sleep. But with compassion and mercy, he rebukes the wind, not his friends. He quiets the waves before he quiets their fears. It is okay, fellow followers of Jesus, to cry out to God in our anguish and to ask God those tough questions because maybe we just need to hear God's honest answer. And Jesus assures us that the answer is in fact better than the answer that we're afraid it could be and so dare not even ask. When the winds are whipping and the waves are violent and the boat is all but lost, we can call out to God with even the pained and panicked cries of our heart. And we may find that Jesus remains as humble with his friends today as he did with his friends on that boat, as merciful now as ever before. After he rebukes the wind and calms the waves, Jesus asks his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I find it interesting that his disciples are not reproached for their lack of knowledge. Jesus doesn't ask, don't you get it? That's the question I often ask the disciples when I read their stories. If I'm honest, that's the question I often ask myself. Don't you get it? But Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus links fear and faith and invites his disciples into the world of faith. This makes sense. If their faith is in the boat, in good construction, in sturdiness on the sea, if their faith is in the boat and the boat begins to fill with water, of course they're afraid. The thing that they've placed their faith in is failing them. 
But what if their faith was never in the boat at all? How would this story be different? This is the fundamental change of this episode with the disciples, the crucial change which any follower of Jesus must be prepared to make. How do we move from fear to faith? If you receive our weekly email, and I would recommend that you do, you may have heard my reflections yesterday on the truth that do not fear is in fact the most frequently given command in the Bible. It is a critical instruction in our faith because fear robs us of faith. And Jesus knows that these disciples of him are going to need all the faith they can get if they're going to follow him, if they're going to be prepared for the many changes that are yet to come. There's been a lot to be afraid of this week. In the last months, in the last year, There will always be things to be afraid of. Governments will rise and fall. Plague, war, and famine have been the story of our world more often than they have not. And these things will continue to come and to go, and each time they come, they will offer with them fear. Because if our faith was in governments and governments fall, of course we'll be afraid. If our faith was in our health and our health is threatened, of course we'll be afraid. If our faith is in the peace that we have known and war comes to us, of course we'll be afraid. We'll be driven to fear of an unknown life, fear of a still worse leader, fear of a lack of power or control, fear of death itself. To fear these things is to acknowledge their power over us our helplessness in their face. It is in reality to concede that our God is impotent, that the story is in fact as simple as it appears, that we are at the mercy of a merciless world. But that's not the reality that the disciples encountered that day on the boat. The wind and the waves, far from the relentless forces of nature which we might imagine them to be, They relent at Jesus' command. The disciples never had cause to fear because there was someone greater than even a megastorm who would speak for them, who would come to their aid, who would protect them. Neither is this the reality that we face today. The news of this week is deeply troubling. The way that systems in our country and society marginalize some of us and privilege others is an outrageous injustice that needs redress. And the danger of this pandemic requires real wisdom in our actions and precautions. But even these are not insurmountable problems that will crush us with fear because we have been called to turn from fear toward faith. Faith in the one who is king of all creation Faith in the one of whose government and peace there will be no end. Faith in the one who is himself the great physician. As I thought about our church and our celebrations of 200 years as a community, and I considered this text and this sermon, this question crossed my mind. Why are we still afraid? 
after 200 years, do we still lack faith? Our community has witnessed the faithful ways that God has spoken to all kinds of storms in our past, and we have chosen time and time again to step out in faith instead of to turn inward in fear. And now, in these days, I wonder how much we have been tempted to do otherwise. How much we have been tempted to abandon plans for a vision God has given us to truly be loving the city because there is no senior minister to affirm that direction. Has Jesus left us? Have the waves now made us drown? We've been tempted to convince ourselves that there is something deeply troubling at the core of our community when the waves and the storm tosses the boat. Has Jesus stopped speaking? Does the wind's howl now capture our hearts? Once again, we, like the disciples, are presented with an opportunity to change. Change from the posture of fear toward a posture of faith to choose to believe in a God who even the wind and the waves obey, to call out in faith to that God and to trust that he will act to guide us and protect us. Friends of Jesus, dear community of Knox Church, do not be afraid. Remember the words of the disciples of our Lord, who can this be? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And here again, these words of the prophet Isaiah. Courage, take heart. God is here, right here, on his way to put things right and to redress all wrongs. May we together be a people who choose to change from fear to faith in a God who is with us so that in our lives and by our prayers, God's kingdom may come. Amen. We believe God's spirit speaks to us through his word. And so we have a couple of invitations for you to reflect on. And the first is that simple question of Jesus for you. Why are you so afraid? And as you contemplate that, as the situations come to mind as the reasons for your fear come to the fore. We want to invite you to pray that Jesus may awaken faith in you and faith in our church through this and every storm. So we'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect on those questions. Mm -hmm.